2020 was one of the hottest years ever, and it brought to an More end the warmest More than 15,000 scientists are sounding an alarm about climate change. They call it a... Says the effect of global warming is so severe, the region is actually shifting to a different climate. They've also found they had underestimated the rate of change, Ford meaning experts say that we have, have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. It 2020 was the hottest year on record. are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Hello and welcome to My Green Podcast, the show about accessible, sustainable living. I'm Jarvis Smith. I'm Casey Hill. And I'm Joe Wood. This is the show where we look at how a sustainable, ethical life without drastically altering your lifestyle or blowing up your bank account. Everything from quality green products and where to get them to easy changes you can make now to make the world a healthier place. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Jane Sterling, Managing Director of Waleeda. But first, let's have a look at some of the recent green news. Global warming is dangerously close to spiralling out of control. And according to the UN's IPCC report, the Climate Change Report, the alarming conclusions of landmark study were described as code red for humanity. Now, this is a big issue. There hasn't been a report done for some years. Um, I know there was a massive wave of despair that came across the, the business community and the sustainable sector when this came out. So, um, I mean, gosh, there's so much to talk about. Where do we start? Well, it's the weather that is so gone so extreme. And they say we're going to have that even worse to come yeah well w one of the big things about this report is and and it's actually i've spoken to some really you know clever people when it comes to sustainability about it you know people like jonathan porritt who's going to be on the show um, and other climate champions and one of the things that was in the report that's never been mentioned before um is the human impact um and it is that categorically proven now that human impact um is the cause of the rising temperatures um, but more importantly, um, that's been discussed is this irreversible damage that is going to be caused. Now, that's never been mentioned in the IPCC report before. So, you know, a lot of us that have been in the sustainability movement have known this. We've understood it. You know, we, we you know, probably, you know, 10 years ahead of the, the information that's now being reported. But this is now mainstream. And so... You know, I know, Katie, you've probably got a lot to share on this because, you know, you wrote about it and, you know, it, it, it's your kind of area of expertise. But I think the significant thing is behavioural change, Joe, is like human behaviour and human impact. And that's the bit where each and every single one of us can change the way we're living, live in a different way. And the knock-on effect of that in terms of numbers is going to have a massive impact. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... There's so much we can do as humans to help the planet. And I, I truly believe the most important thing is uh, eating right uh, because we have so much waste from what we, the products we eat, the plastic it's wrapped in. I, it makes me feel quite sad how we are. In, it really does. And I see all the time so much pollution 
I just, I don't know, I feel helpless. I think the human factor is really important because there is quite a loud bunch of people who've been saying for a long time, well, this is just what happens, the climate changes, it's part of the Earth's natural cycles. And yes, to some extent that is true, the Earth does have natural cycles, but this report, you know, to come out and say that it's climate change is unequivocally <laughs> driven by humans. I yeah, think it's um, it, has to, it does yeah. it, it does have to make people. It, we need to be careful. Oh. I think not to spiral into doom and gloom. Um, it has you know signaled the the report says it's a code red for humanity. We do need to. We I think we just all need to face up to the fact that we have to do something. This is down to us, and we can change it. What about the fact that they're cutting down the rainforest? I mean, how much is that damaging our planet? How much is that all the pollution going into the seas when they are the lungs of this world? Yeah, I think I think you know I think if we were were to really quench this down to one major thing, it's our addiction to fossil fuels, right? So, so yes, the cutting down the rainforest is massive because obviously they're the lungs of the planet. But the problem is, uh, the human problem is, is our addiction to fossil fuels. So one of the things that we massively have to unpick is our addiction to that. And that's, as you say, it's plastics, it's products, it's, you know, the way we use energy, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So the really important thing for people to understand is, is, okay, what, can, what action can I take today? And that is that that connection to uh, being part of a fossil fuel driven economy. So um, and of course, we can break that down in very, very simple ways. Like, you know, what are we fueling our vehicles with? How we get traveling from A to B? You know, all of these things that we talk about when we come to let's talk about six. But I think the the clinch uh, or the the kind of real um, connected thing for us is how are we treating or abusing nature yeah every single thing that we use that we commercially sell that builds our economic value that makes the world go round apparently money makes a go around which is just utter bs but you know it it is all connected to this fossil fuel driven economy and our disconnection from nature so my thing is is that you know if, if we can begin to understand everything that we use comes from nature are we using too much yes categorically there's no doubt could we possibly give back to nature or at least respect nature for what we are using and then we start to reconnect with our guess more indigenous type um, ways of being which happened before man-made laws came in you know business politics religion you know the list goes on and on and on so i think what we've got to do is is get back to our roots and and start living um this more connected balanced way with nature that's my thing that's my take i do it's really hard to look at this report and the top line findings and not just feel like there's no point in kind of trying to do anything because it's too late but i think we do need to sort of remain hopeful and you know there has it did say in the report that we just need to act decisively and you, we, we can keep that 1.5 degree rise alive if we all if we act now um so cop 26 that's coming up in november it's going to be a huge opportunity for people to, for especially the kind of the advanced g20 economies to join that coalition of net zero emissions um and to just just to just to do something and to actually have these kind of nationally determined contributions that that are that are brave and courageous and that are bold and that that are going to actually add up to something when they all come together so it's not 
it is awful. It's really depressing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I felt really gutted when I read the report. But I think we can't lose sight of the fact that it isn't actually too late and that we can do something and that you know if we put more pressure on governments we put more pressure on um the world leaders when they joined for cop 26 in november we've got to hope that they just see this and that they anybody who was in any doubt before now can't be in any doubt anymore and that they do something and that they come together and they realize that they have to act now to save the planet and everybody on it it's that yeah. simple. No, it is. And I think what's really interesting is, is that, you know, our government, you know, the, 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 the political party that we voted in to be our leaders do not have a net zero plan. They talk about it. They give it lip service. They talk about, you know, keeping temperatures down. But I guarantee you they do not have a plan. So anybody listening to this needs to really badger their local MPs and, um, you know, and, and the political party uh, to actually get them to take responsibility for the issue because they're not. Categorically today, they are not. So what is happening is, is businesses are taking control, you know, climate champions and climate leaders and organisations. All these kind of grassroots organisations on the ground are doing some amazing things. But where the decisions lie is unfortunately not being dealt with in a, in a decent way. And that is down to our political um, leadership. It's madness that they don't have a plan. Yeah, I mean, it's partly because they're trying to fix the problems with the same issues that caused it in the first place, which is actually our economic you know, structure. So what they're trying to do is trying to build um, you know, an economic valuable um, solution uh, to a problem actually that can't be fixed with money. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely clear that this problem cannot be fixed with money. What it can be fixed with is taking away our addiction to the fossil fuel industry and therefore underwritten what, what our monetary value and things like that. So what we need is radical, um, unified, mass mobilizing of people to stand up against our current leadership regime um, in any way, shape or form that they can and just say, no, we are not having this anymore. We need change. So COPXX is one of those you know, ways that you can go to the website, sign up, give your voice. Um, you know, we need to probably you know, be on the UNFCCC's back um, you know, because the United Nations have a huge responsibility when it comes to this. Um, and each individual taking responsibility for themselves, changing those little small habits that if everybody did it, it would have a huge knock-on effect. I think that's key, isn't it? That's really that's really important to me. It's just that kind of, and Herbie agrees, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> Go Herbie! Go Herbie! <laughs> He's got lots to say about this. Yeah. It's their future, isn't it? And I think we can't lose sight of the fact that we all need to make changes and that we do have, you know, we all have the power to do something and to do better. I feel a revolution coming on. I smell it on the air. Yes. Well, I tell you this for nothing, Extinction Rebellion is kicking back up again in September. They've obviously been really held back by doing any activity because of the pandemic. But their main driving question for humanity or for people that they reach is stop buying into fossil fuels. Yeah, so that yeah, would really be important. Yeah, dry, you know, really putting a line underneath that. And there are so many cool op options, alternative options now. Yeah. You know, the sun, the wind, the seas are all infinite resources of energy. It's very, very simple. Well, in related news, UN patron of the oceans and endurance swimmer, Lewis Pugh, 
is tackling the most dangerous swim of his career to highlight climate change. There you go. I mean, this guy, oh my God, he is just an absolute living legend and hero. If Lewis stays true to form, he will complete this swim in only his Speedos. This guy is a machine. He is... Hold on a minute. You don't like me in my Speedos. <laughs> a bit jealous about this Lewis Come on, tell now. me more about his speedos and where he was swimming. I might have to go and watch. I hope they're made out of organic cotton. Yeah, me too. Where is he swimming though? Whereabouts is he swimming? Okay, so it's a 10 kilometre swim and it's across the mouth of the Ilulisset Ice Fjord in Greenland, which is fed by the world's fastest moving glacier. Oh my so, God. It's it's going to be a multi-day swim in the uh, it, it, the world's first multi-day swim in the polar regions. He's mad. His point is just to highlight how fragile these places are as the climate's changing. And when's he doing this? Well, he set off on the twenty fifth, and it's a multi-day swim. And before the twenty fifth, he was uh, he was in Iceland training. I don't know how you prepare your body for that kind of swim, but yeah, lots of ice he baths, did. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> And Jarvis, this is a uh, this is kind of your this is your kind of story as well because you like a you like a cold water immersion, don't you? Well, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not Lewis Pugh because I don't swim uh, a lot, but I do make sure that every week I go out and get into natural uh, water. Um, and you know, through the winter, in in certainly in December, January, and February, we had to smash the ice off the top in order to get in, um, and would come out you know pretty blue. But yeah, I do it for health reasons because. You know, the Wim Hof thing is that essentially if you can put your body under that amount of stress and, and, and build on that, then you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for your, your, the, the blood cells to naturally regenerate themselves and get rid, of the, get rid of the blood cells that are not good for your body. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, but swimming and doing it in the cold, ooh, that, I mean, that, he, he, this guy is, is an absolute legend. So hats off to Lewis Pugh. So ahead of our interview with Jane Sterland from We're Leader, it's now time for our regular feature. Let's talk about six, baby. Six easy steps anyone can make to lead a more sustainable life. And today we talk about step five, what we put on our bodies. My favourite subject. So this is about the products, whether they're beauty, whether they're shampoos, conditioners, skincare, whatever, whatever we put on our body, right? So most people don't realise that a lot of the stuff that they're putting on their bodies is quite toxic to our, you know, to our um, ecosystem, to our own personal ecosystem. So Katie, you're the real expert on this. Um, we try to use, you know, natural and organic, which I know, Joe, that's your thing as well. But yes. what, what, what's, what are the issues, Katie? Joe, you are the expert on this, actually. No. But there are so many issues. It's hard. To, it's really hard to kind of, there's a lot to talk, <laughs> a lot to talk about. I think um, a big problem is that the natural and organic beauty sector, as you'll know, Joe, is, is very poorly policed. Um, yeah. So a lot of products can 
can say that they're natural or organic or they you know if they've got one organic ingredient they can say on them that they are an organic shampoo and even if it's kind of less than one percent organic ingredients so that's something to really watch out for um this is a really really good time to start thinking about using natural and organic products because we're just about to go into organic september we've got organic beauty and well-being week from the 6th to the 12th of september this year by the soil association so there'll be loads and loads of products for you to try that are just kind of available suddenly and like you'll have loads of testers and people will be talking a lot about it so keep your eyes and ears open Mm. um because there will be lots of uh, opportunities to experiment with new natural and organic products that you might never have heard of or seen oh, cool. in supermarkets. So, and there'll be loads of conversations like check out Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all your kind of social media feeds because there will be a lot of talk about, um, you know, what the issues are around organic beauty and non-organic beauty and, you know, what to really look out for. Um, I think Jarvis, what you were kind of alluding to is like, what's the issue with non-organic products and non-natural products yeah exactly well, yeah exactly yeah there are there are a few I think the two the two main ones for me are that yes some of them have got products um, ingredients that are quite toxic at very very low levels but the problem is when you're using 12 or if some people use 12 or 13 products every day so if each of those products has got a small amount of a toxic ingredient in it it's all it, it adds up it really adds up in during over the course of the day and over the course of the week and the month and the year you know you've got to really think about that load that's all going on to your body and especially if you've got kids as well they're much more vulnerable to um to these ingredients too so that's something to look out for yes it might be in very very low like a very very small ingredient on the label but just think about how much of it you're using over the course of a year yeah it's a build-up of quantities isn't it yeah yeah yeah. you see i don't think people realize how what you put on your skin goes into your bloodstream uh, and they just don't you don't think of it they think it sits on your skin and and that's it but your body absorbs it all and it just builds up in the body and and it can make you ill yeah it's really interesting isn't it because most of us think about well i mean not 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 everybody of course this is a sweeping statement but a lot of people do think about what they eat what they put into their bodies yeah but they probably don't give it the same level of consciousness when what they're putting on their bodies and of course the skin is a receptor um for you know some of that will leach into your skin and into your into your vital organs and your, you know, your system. So you just got to think of something like a, a Nicorette patch, how that can go mm. into your bloodstream. And it's the same thing, what you put on your Good skin. Example. Yeah. And what yeah. you put on your skin will just absorb into your body. It's so important to put natural organic oils on your body. We don't need all these weird names that we get in these creams and lotions and shampoos another thing people don't think about shampoo but the shampoo goes into your skull of course it does yeah straight into the brain i mean that's a really really it's sensitive so area. important to know you're putting organic ingredients on your body yeah or natural 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 or organic definitely i mean one of the things i know this is a bit of a shameless plug but one of the things that we do do at my green pod is we pride ourselves on only selling products 
that are the best that they can be. And the amount of times I send the product to Katie to say, oh, these, these have come in. Can we get them on the marketplace? And she'll say, no, look at the ingredients. And I'm like, okay, fine. So we turn down a lot of brands because they don't have the right kind of ingredients. So if you do want to buy something safely, then, you know, go to my green pod. Try my other, oil, for instance. Yeah, or oh, Joe's, Joe's <laughs> product. Ethical consumer is really good for this as well. And, you know, buy from, buy from brands that really do care about you and the planet. Yeah, look for certification as well. I think that's important. You know, if you get, yeah. if you look for um, Soil Association certified, so you get Cosmos Natural or Cosmos Organic, and that kind of, it's just a reassurance on pack at the point of purchase. So I think one of the things that you can do that's really easy is to just look out for certifications from the Soil Association or from Natru on pack at the point of purchase, because that will tell you that they've been checked and verified by either the Soil Association against the Cosmos standard to be natural or, or organic. So just look out for those logos and just make sure before you buy that you have got a product that it's not going to cause you or your family any harm, no matter how many times you use it or where you use it, in fact. Nice. Another thing to think about when you're buying personal care products or beauty products is just um, is, is plastics, because we've all heard about the microbeads ban. Um, that was the kind of the government taking microbeads out of rinse off products. But what they didn't talk about was all the plastics that are in personal care products in the form of synthetic polymers. So these are kind of, they're liquid plastics <laughs> that are in those products that you're using on your body, in your hair, that give you that lovely shine on your hair, that lovely glossiness and that softness on your skin, but that disappears as soon as you've washed it off. And you have to keep using the products and keep using more of the products and they all get rinsed down the drain and they all end up in the sea. And this is basically a whole new set of products and plastics that are going into the water and into marine ecosystems. And no one's really talking about it at the moment, but it is something that we do need to be really conscious of because again, that all adds up. If you're using all of those products every day and everybody is, think about how many synthetic polymers are getting washed into the water systems and the kind of damage that's doing. So that's the second thing to just be really aware it's of. unbelievable it is unbelievable and you know what's really interesting about that is is because people are using less um oil in cars and vehicles the fossil fuel industries are now diverting those oils oh. into these synthetic polymers so oh. they're still getting the same amount of sales but they're just putting the oils into into household products there's a lot of shadiness around um the beauty it's such an it's a it's a massive massive market the beauty market it's worth so much money and there are loads of shady operations going on in it so when yeah. you buy natural and organic products make sure that you get them from a conscious company that is just that wants to do good So that actually leads us nicely on to our guest this week, who is Jane Sterland, the fabulous Jane Sterland of Woolida UK. Our guest this week on My Green Podcast is the Managing Director of Walida UK, a world-leading manufacturer of holistic, natural cosmetics and pharmaceuticals. Hello and welcome, Jane Sterland. <laughs> Hello, Jarvis. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Hi, Jane. How are you? 
Really good, thank you. I've been looking forward to talking to you both. Oh, we have you. I mean, it seems yeah. like forever that we haven't actually had a chance to connect with you. So this is, this is quite personal as well as being, you know, a, a podcast as well. It just feels like coming home to a, a bunch of mates. Feels longer yeah. than a year, doesn't it, Jarvis? Feels oh, longer than a year. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Well, How time let, flies. Let's get stuck in, Jane. Uh, you know, Walida has been going since 1921, which is just like, wow. Can you tell us a bit more about the company's history? Ooh, please. It's amazing, isn't it? So um, we are known today as a cosmetics company. Uh, so we produce natural and organic cosmetics, but actually our founding roots are in, uh, we're in a pharmacy. Um, we also do make medicines. Oh. A lot of people don't know that. So we, we were founded by Rudolf Steiner, the, the philosopher and, and polymath um, of the, uh, the 19th and 20th century, quite a, an amazing man, visionary man. And uh, his work with uh, an amazing woman called Dr. Ita Wegman. She was a female Dutch doctor. And they worked together on how we can take gifts from nature and turn it into products that help support the development of our health and well-being, which today we'll know as you know, natural organic cosmetics and great creams and so on. But back then they actually created, or Valeda was created as a pharmacy. And uh, the pharmacy was part of a hospital or clinic that Dr. Ita Wegman founded. And this is the thing that makes me so proud to work for this company. She, as a practicing doctor, as a female doctor, she was really unusual in Switzerland. We founded in Switzerland. And um, so she decided to found a hospital employing other female doctors because she couldn't get a job. So the hospital was founded by women working with nature, working in harmony with nature to create amazing products to support our wellness. And frankly, that's what we've been doing for a hundred years. And what's wow. really helped us do that, and I think this is the key, is the fact that we're still owned by the foundations of our two founders, Rudolf Steiner and Dr. Issa Wegman. That is oh. so fantastic. Yeah, it is. I, it is. I love that. I mean, do they have they don't you don't still have a hospital do you a natural hospital well we don't but uh the the hospital that or the clinic that Eta Regman founded uh, is now yeah. known as clinic Arlesheim and there yeah. are three clinics with it within um the the foundation and yes it's still going and yes they still own us um, oh, and fun. and and Steiner's work a massive, huge body of work ranging from everything from obviously medicine I've talked about from farming, education of our children through Wardorf Steiner schools. Uh, he did work on architecture. He did most groundbreaking work on economics. All of that work, his 6,000 lectures, his 40 odd books, that then really became, it's almost like the Steiner University. And it's known and it's owned by the Anthroposophical Society who also own us. So, it really keeps our purpose alive because yeah. we're very much, um, and I think that's, you know, maybe we'll talk about purpose-led business, but I think that is something that we could really learn about, about having an intention, not, not to make a business to make some money, but to make a difference in the world and then keeping that, yeah. if that essence, if you like, in the ownership. Yeah, I love that. And there's loads of businesses, isn't there, at the moment, trying to redefine their purpose. You know, you've got these big banks and you've got all these organisations. But actually, your, your organisation, 
had a purpose at the beginning and it, and they had the values and they still continue a hundred years they're later. still the same yes yeah. isn't that yeah. fantastic oh it's just awesome it's just i mean it's absolutely what i mean what what could other businesses learn from from that you know that history that tradition that you've got what could they learn from that in in terms of I guess reignited their purpose within these modern organizations that seem to care less about integrity mm. and much more about bottom line. But you know, what, what words of wisdom could you give them that would be kind of key points to the longevity of this success? Well, I mentioned that Steiner had a particular view about economics and he did a lot of his work in economics just post the first world war. So he was asking himself big questions like, how can we have a cohesion? How can we bring people together? How can we look after the natural world? Because he saw at that time, and bear in mind this is 100 years ago, and it's even more so now, that we were using nature as a resource and we were industrialising nature. Mm. So, yes. you know, these three questions are the foundation, I think. Oh, they certainly are the foundation for our company and I think this is the, the gift. First of all, you have to make a profit. You have to be economically viable if you want to be sustainable. But the question is, what is the right level? What is, what is, what is the right amount of money to make? Uh, so it's not about maximising profit. It's about what is the right thing. The second thing is, how can you do that in a way that supports and regenerates nature? So you don't take from nature, but you work at eye level and in harmony with nature. Yeah. And the third is a social question, and this is the one that I think we forget about now. We talk a lot about sustainability, but I don't know if we really understand that you have to balance those two things, sustainability, regeneration of nature, making a healthy, right profit with, mm. with what we do in society, how you bring together people, how you make sure, practical things like making sure that you're giving the living wage all the way through your supply chains, making sure that you have gender balance, making sure that you're just doing all of the right things. And by blending those three things, we know it's people, planet and profit, but it really came from Steiner's work in 1918, 1920. Balance with purpose. So people, planet and profit, but purpose right in the centre. Mm. And what it is difficult to do, it is really difficult because every decision you make you have to ask yourself, is this good for our business in the long term? Is this good for, the, good for our people? Is this good for the planet? And the, I mean, I, I, I laugh. And I heard Mark Carney use this phrase the other day, the ex-Bank of England, um, and he's now working for the United Nations. He said 50 shades of green, and it's a phrase I use all the time. Mm. And I think if we would just, you know, allow, if we allow businesses to be a little bit imperfect and just to be honest and talk about this difficult, the difficult balance that we have. But I really think that is a gift that Valeda has to give the world and not, not just business, but all communities. You know, how can we live in balance with each other, with the natural world, profitably, but delivering a purpose that will make a difference? Uh, if I had yeah. one of those buttons that did a big crowd cheer and a roar and, a, yeah. and a, you know, <laughs> I, I would press it right now because that was just awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, that, I think that's great. That's such a great philosophy to go by and still are doing it a hundred years later. 
Yeah, it's inspirational and aspirational. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you're right, you know, so many businesses now, we, you know, if science is correct, which we all believe it is, that, you know, we've got a very short amount of time to turn things around. Businesses are going to have to readjust their, their models very, very, very quickly and start putting profit back into the planet, right, rather than just taking it out. So, and, and we know you do that. One of the questions I've got here, and I, I just thought this is a bit of, a, bit of an interesting one, and I think the, our listeners will be interested. So Valida, or Walida as we call it in England, is actually the name of a woman from history. Mm. Tell us more about her and why the company chose her name. Oh yeah, no. I, so we were founded by Steiner and Edith and he and, and Rudolf Steiner not only drew our logo, which always makes me smile when I see it, but also gave us our name, Valida, and uh, or Walida, as we say in the UK. <laughs> yes. And she was um, originally a prophetess in Greek mythology. A Valida, she, she was a seer. She was a prophetess. And that name was adapted by the Celtic tribes for, um, let's call her the wise woman of the village. It was the woman who, in the village, who held space for people. So she would be a counsellor. She would be a herbalist. She would be a protector of nature. She would be the midwife. But she she was the the wise woman. And she would be the seer and the prophetess. And I just love the fact that he gave us that name because for me it's a mission it's an action yeah it's not a name it yeah. means so much more and in one word he really encompassed exactly what our purpose is yeah and I yeah I you know and, and I say it and I know that it's got history to it I know that and I see women who have this role now and, and going all the way back through the centuries, we all know women like that. We yeah. all know women that hold space for others. Yeah. 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 It's that shamanic way, isn't it, as well? It's like kind of exactly. yeah, hearing that. And that, that's obviously, you know, the reason why we're, we're in so much of a mess, because we don't rely on that, that sense of leadership, that, that connection with the feminine principles. These, 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 you know, wise people that were, as you say, healers and they talked to the land and they you know they took medicines from the land and you know that's we've got to get back to that haven't we otherwise we're not going to create any any form of future for our for our generations because we're just killing it all so oh wow i love that i I think it's so important to get back to the earth and the the natural way because the way we're going now is absolutely wrong when you when you talk there jobs it reminded me um the feminine side of leadership is something that we've really forgotten how to do. I talk about holding space. Well, what does that mean? It's the way a mother holds space for her children. It's the way Mm. you feel very connected and cared for. Care is a lovely word, I think. And, and I, and certainly in business and certainly in the patriarchal Western world that we're operating in, we and i'm not talking about men versus women i'm talking about masculine versus feminine i just think we've lost that the gifts of of feminine leadership and it's something that we really all all genders need to connect back with which is about caring and creativity and deep listening and holding space oh i I love that and you're absolutely right and there's we're completely imbalanced aren't we uh with with that way of being and well, look, I'd like to ask you a question, actually, building up to um, it's not on our on our kind of list of questions, but you've just inspired me. So we've got COP26 coming up. Right. 
And as far as I can see, it's a very male patriarchal decision-making process. And we all know that there's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of press around the fact that there's not as many women uh, sitting at the table making those decisions. And, you know, what, what, what would you advise for this big decision-making process that needs to occur? What would you advise those leaders? What would you say to those leaders as a very connected, powerful, you know, industry leader? Um, that is working with feminine principles. How could they shift their mindset to be working more in in alignment with that? I think I'd take a step back and say that I think until we have gender parity, where our leadership, um, that's government, that's NGOs and so on, actively represents the society that it's in. So for example, we know that women account for 51% of the population, but at the moment, less than a third of all MPs in the British Parliament are women. Mm. Until we can go about gender parity, both in our leadership styles and also in, in literally our diversity, um, because with diversity, when you have a diverse group of people, uh, and there's lots of, of science that proves this, you get much better sustainable decision-making. So going, going to the COP, um, you know, I, I, I'm in awe of people like Christiana Figueres. Yeah, I think yeah. the success of Paris was, was a lot down to her and the way that she worked collegially at eye level, using a lot of those feminine leadership skills that we've just talked about, about, about deep listening and respect and holding space. If only we could get that both in men and in women, yeah. because the only solution that we can ever have for the planet has, has got to be collegiate and collaborative, because we, we all share one planet. Somebody said to me the other day, um, I think she was quoting David Attenborough, who said, we're all earthlings, and the sooner we realise that we're all earthlings and every human being on the planet is the same as each other, then the more we can embrace diversity, the more we can actually work together to create great solutions. But I share your concerns. You know, I looked at the organising team for COP26 and that it might have changed now, but, but a few months ago, it was a, an all-male lineup, And that can't be right. No, of course it can't. It's changing a little bit, but I, I don't think we're going to see balance. Uh, well, that is another, another story, but we're, we're, we're trying to create a group of, of women to come together to really be a voice at the table. I'm working with the UN on that, but Joan, I'll talk to you about that separately, and maybe we could bring you on for another discussion about that on another podcast. But I want to just, if we may, just outside of work, because clearly you know, you, you've embedded this culture into your work and into all your decisions, which is beautiful, but outside of work with a family, when you're at home and you know, you're, you're doing your kind of just your family stuff, I won't say normal stuff because what is normal these days? How do you live a sustainable lifestyle in your, in your other environment, in your, in your motherhood and, and family environment? <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I'm going to quote a, a lovely, uh, a collective friend of ours Janie Lee Grace I do it imperfectly uh, yes. naturally <laughs> she has a most wonderful series of books called imperfectly natural <laughs> I um, I, yeah I try to I just try to do the right thing with the resources that I have that's that's I, I try to do the best that I can and what I've done is sort of try to think about what's important to me over time so trying to achieve one thing and then on to the next, on to the next, because it's, it's, it's more than 50 shades of green. There are so many things when you're balancing, you know, managing a business. Um, I've got, I've got two teenage boys. We've 
got our house, we've got a dog, we've got, you know, blah, 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 blah. We all have these, we all have these. Yeah. And it's, it's constantly juggling. So the way I feel, I, I operate best when I'm in my purpose. So cooking food from scratch or, or gardening, growing food from scratch and cooking from scratch Mm. for me is one of the greatest gifts that I can give my boys. Mm. Yeah. So it might not always be, uh, you know, perfect, but to let them know where food comes from. And so I think we need to really think about, well, you know, education in the next generation and because hopefully they'll be a little bit better than, than we are, but yeah, you know, I'm still compromised. I still drive a car because I live in the countryside and, 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 Mm. and, what I have done though in this last year, and it's been wonderful. I mean, COVID has been a dreadful experience to live through, but the wonderful opportunity it's given me is, and you know this, Jarvis, I, I was always traveling and now I stay in one place. Yeah. And I can talk to you through technology. So, yeah, the gift of time, the gift of reconnecting with the soil and just trying to do things simply is probably my mantra. Oh, I love that. Do you that. know, so many people have said that, haven't they, Jarvis? Yeah. People are saying that, that this year has made everybody reconnect with the earth and their families. I mean, so as much as it was bad, it's also been good as well. It's, yeah. it's opened yeah. our eyes to a lot of things. It has. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's given us a gear change, hasn't it? It slowed us down, yeah. and that that we we, we first firstly seen cause and effect, you know, particularly with air quality and certain things that are, are are relevant to the climate chaos, you know. But 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 you know what what's extraordinary is, and I was reading this statistic the other day. Actually, emissions haven't dropped in this time. So they haven't. Know, no, they haven't, and it's just like it's just amazing. But I think what has happened is that consciousness has become more aware of the of the you know the importance of the situation and i think that's the huge stepping stone and also how we responded you know suddenly everyone's really busy and then suddenly everyone's completely kind of stopped doing everything that's a great it's a great thing for humanity to see that we've been able to adapt so quickly to that to that challenge because if the climate change information is correct it's going to be much much worse and we're going to have to adapt in many many other different ways jane you know one of the things that I'd love to ask you before we sign off is, is, is the one simple tip and it could be a beauty tip. It doesn't have to be a, you know, it could, it could be something that you're an expert on. Is there one tip that you would give to our audience that they could take on board for themselves and, and act upon? Yes. I've got a little mantra that I'm using myself, which I will share with you. And alongside that, I would say you mentioned about consciousness we all need to raise our consciousness, our level of awareness. And, you know, um, I, I said to my other half this morning, I was looking in my inbox, my personal inbox, and saying, gosh, every single email, somebody's trying to sell me something. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's just that I was just like really aware of it. And suddenly, and so it was just, yeah, just being aware, just raising your consciousness. And the little mantra that I've had is buy less, but buy better. So really think about, what I'm going to be spending my money on because when I spend money that then creates some kind of demand and it feeds the system yeah so I've so what I've done yeah. this particularly through lockdown is I've, I've completely boycotted supermarkets and I just buy from local producers and because I know where the money's going and I've been really quite discerning about what I've been buying as well so 
And I found that actually I can do with, with so much less than I used to buy. So buy less, buy better, and always just have that kind of consciousness about, yeah, so look behind the label and why is somebody saying that to me? And, and um, I guess we're all consumers that need to become citizens and yeah. we become citizens by becoming much more conscious of our behaviour. Oh, I love yeah. that. It's beautiful. Uh, I've got I've got one question I need to ask. Go on, Jane. Jane what is your favorite Walida product? <laughs> oh my goodness me, that's like asking me which is my favorite child. <laughs> and, 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 if you, and if you ask my youngest, he would say, Well, it's me, of course. Um, so I it 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 depends, it depends on the moment, but if I were going to a desert island and I had to take one product with me, it would be the multitasking skin food, which was uh, created in 1926. It's an all-round moisturiser. It smells absolutely divine. And it fixes everything, absolutely everything. So you'll always find a, a tube of that in my, in my back pocket and in my bag. Okay. All right. And I, I would say, Jane, that is actually my favourite product as well. I use it every day and it's great for my beard and it just keeps my skin glowing. And yes, yeah, so I'm glad you said that because I, I would have had FOMO if there was something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the toothpaste and the, the bath liquid. Oh, I can't think yeah, of what it's called. I've got loads very upstairs. Good, isn't it? Oh, the yeah. bath, bath milk, milk. Yeah. I love them. I love them so much. They're great. Yeah, so I think to all our listeners, you know, if you're not using natural products at home and you really care about the, the you know, what you're putting on your body, then Valida, uh, or Walida as we know it, is, is the brand to, to go from. So Jane, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've brought so much joy to my heart and I'm sure to the rest of our listeners. And mine, thank and you. mine. And you. Oh, it's so lovely to speak to you both. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of My Green Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and gained some really useful tips on living ethically. And if you did, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to give us a five-star rating so that others wanting a greener lifestyle can find us. And thank you to our guest, Jane Sterland. We'll put links to her website on the show's notes. Follow us on Joe Wood Official and at My Green Pod. For more tips and the latest ethical news, go to mygreenpod.com or email us hello at mygreenpod.com. See you next time. Goodbye. My Green Podcast was presented by Jarvis Smith, Katie Hill and Joe Wood. It was produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions. Music by The Phoenix Rose. Pod People.